everybody. This is Jake McGrail of CITR Sports Broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus located on the unceded grounds of the Musqueam people. You're listening to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9, always keeping you up to date with the latest UBC Thunderbirds news and stories. This week, we're bringing you something different, as while there are plenty of varsity athletics on campus, there are also many clubs and other sports communities. We covered one of those on our final show of the previous school year, when we interviewed two members of the UBC Figure Skating Club, and now we're looking at something different altogether, the UBC esports community. While not seen by some as a sport on the same level as basketball, hockey, soccer, and the like, esports is growing in popularity and boasts that level of competition, stakes, and camaraderie you associate with other sports. To go into detail on UBC esports, here is Alan and Byron Wang speaking with two members of its community. And hello, everybody. Hope you're all staying safe during this quarantine, and thank you all for tuning in to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9 FM. Now, it's pretty clear that in our current situation, university sports have undergone some drastic changes, but what's often overlooked is how it's affected online eSport teams. So today we'll be diving into the world of UBC eSports and how its community is holding up. My name is Byron Wang, and with me here today is my twin brother, Alan Wang, and we're joined here by current Smash Director of the UBC eSports Association and the third ranked player in the UBC Power Rankings for Smash Ultimate, Nick Raiden. Joined with him is the creator of the new UBC Mario Kart eSports community and currently fourth worldwide for the game Finis and Ferb across the second dimension, Sydney Heracle. Welcome to the show, guys. Yo, thank you for that glamorous introduction. I love that. Yeah, and just a little bit of information on what an eSport is to viewers. So generally, for a game to be considered an eSport, it needs to be well-funded and it needs to have a competitive community of players where prizes are available to the players who place the highest. Um, many of you are familiar with the games Super Smash Bros. and Mario Kart. However, you may be surprised to find out that these games have very competitive communities within them. And to start things off, Nick, do you mind explaining a bit about yourself, such as when you became Smash Director and what led you to take the position? Uh, well, I recently became Smash Director at the like middle of the summer. I took the position pretty much, so like mid quarantine. Um, and uh, what led me to take the position is I was uh, I was an executive in the club for two and a half years already at that point, and I've been like organizing weekly tournaments for a while. And uh, when the position opened up, I kind of like seeked to be promoted to the position of director so I could organize like bigger stuff and bigger events. And uh, COVID's kind of thrown a wrench into that, but I'm looking forward to all this being over and maybe I'll be able to, you know, organize yeah. the big stuff when <laughs> in-person events come back. Yeah, hopefully. And uh, moving on to Sydney, why did you want to start a Mario Kart community? As the leader of a new branch in the UBC esports scene, uh, what is your plan to maintain and grow the Mario Kart community within UBC? All right. <clears throat> so I could easily talk about this for hours because uh, I just love Mario Kart. But the reason I started it is because the Smash people, like Nick and all of them, they do something called Casual Mondays. 
So on Mondays, we don't do esports. We just do like practice and you play against your friends. And so we also brought up a Wii and we would play Mario Kart Wii every week as well because of how casual it was. And everyone enjoyed it a lot. And we hosted like small little like 15 person tournaments of just the people who showed up. We didn't like advertise it at all. And I enjoyed it so much. And I really wanted to make a power ranking as well for Wii. Mario Kart Wii just to like see who's the best in British Columbia so I figured like the best and easiest way to do that would be to start the Mario Kart community and so that I could host more like legitimate tournaments as well with actual money prizes instead of just playing against your friends uh and then my plans for Mario Kart are very big very large I obviously intend on being the only person who hosts Mario Kart tournaments ever by hosting 500 simultaneously every day. That's obviously not sure. But we every year, we do something called um, Rainbow Road, uh, which is like a drinking thing, 19 plus only, but you play Mario Kart. Uh, so I'm going to hopefully, we do that once a year. I'm going to hopefully do increase it to twice a year once we can do stuff like that again. And then I'm going to be running at least monthly Mario Kart tournaments where you pay like $5 to enter. And then depending on how many people enter, whoever gets first place can win up to like, I don't know, like 70 or $80, $80 just from playing Mario Kart. So I hope, I hope to do that. And then I also hope to create larger events with like several hundred people, but that'll be once I really get stuff going. I don't know yes. if I can do that now. <laughs> no, well, you got to start somewhere, right? Yeah, exactly. And also, were you planning on doing Mario Kart Wii or more deluxe? Uh, deluxe is obviously like the more easier game to do because it's the one that you can actually buy. Yeah. Uh, and Mario Kart Wii, like, you can't just go to a store and get the game. But uh, in the Mario Kart community, at least at UBC, we like to call Mario Kart Wii the smash melee of Mario Kart. Oh, that makes sense, yeah. <laughs> So, so Melee came out such a long time ago, but it's still super popular. It's the same thing with Mario Kart Wii. And me and Nick both uh, prefer Wii over Deluxe. We just like the game better. And since we're the ones that run most of the events, uh, we, we've decided that we want to have both of them. I kind of just do Mario Kart Deluxe as like a way to get funding. And Mario Kart Wii is like my passion. And it's why I actually started the events. Yeah, that's pretty good. And then, okay. So for our next question, we can start with Nick again this time. And obviously the pandemic has had a massive effect on uni university sports and events. But one of the advantages for online gaming is that obviously there is the option of hosting competitions remotely. Have your respective communities been making that transition of moving competitions to online play? And if so, how has that been affecting you in general? Uh, so, yeah, I think both of our communities have moved on to online at this point. Um, we were very used to running in-person stuff, especially with Smash. We had our weeklies every Friday, and it was all in-person. It was like a very community-centric event. And uh, it took us to around, like, mid-summer when we started running this bi-weekly series online, uh, which is uh, free to enter. And uh, it's basically been a way to, like, you know, keep in touch and keep playing the game as best we can online in the situation without having to be in person. Okay, and is the gameplay, do you think, like, 
different or similar at all between like oh, online and in person? Uh, it's definitely very different, especially because in a game like Smash, like any level of input lag is very noticeable. And uh, online like naturally has way more input lag than when you're playing in person. So even stuff like basic stuff like which characters are good changes with online. Like just because there's more input lag, certain characters do way better, certain characters get worse. Um, so yeah, like a lot of people don't really take online tournaments super seriously, uh, but it's still a good way to, you know, keep practicing and hopefully keep your skills on point until you're able to play in person again. Right. Okay. And how about you, Sydney? Has online been implemented into the Mario Kart community scene at all? Yeah, we we do a tournament every two weeks uh, where people just enter and we play 12 races and then tally up the points afterwards. Uh, we didn't start the Mario Kart community until after everything went online, so we didn't really have to transition at all. We just had to create something. Uh, but the big difference that I see with online and in-person is that online, it's way more focused on gameplay than anything else. And personally, when I do esports events and when I'm planning things, I'm really just planning like a social gathering and video games is kind of like what brings everyone together. Uh, so it's, it's a lot harder to create events uh, where you get that same social aspect because online you just you're you only see the gameplay right like you don't see the people so right. it's really hard to to focus on anything other than gameplay when you're only online uh so our events are a lot shorter and there there's a lot less fun things going on um i know that when we get to be in person it'll be a lot more exciting because people can show up and talk to their friends instead of just showing up doing the game and then just leaving afterwards which is <laughs> what really sucks about online stuff is it's just uh all competition no fun <laughs> okay yeah that makes sense yeah because like um my brother and i actually went to a smash tournament at ubc and then <laughs> it was a lot different because we got to actually see the people there like we got to talk to them because uh, I'm not that big on Smash, but I agree with you. It is a lot different when you can physically see the person. And then it's not just about gameplay. It's more about, like, meeting people, just having a fun time. And then when, you get, when it gets to your matches, then you can really focus on the gameplay. But, yeah, like you said, it's a lot different. And uh, so while Super Smash Bros. is one of the most popular esports worldwide, uh, Sydney, the wider gaming community doesn't generally consider mario kart as a proper esport yeah um why do you think that is and do you think that could change especially with events such as the mario kart wii world cup that happened this summer oh yeah i i'm actually upset because i heard about it like a day after it happened i would have loved to compete in that but uh yeah the main reason why people don't think mario kart is an esport is just because there's a lot of luck stuff there's a lot of rng in the game that like you can get really good, but at some point, skill doesn't really matter, and it's just like whether you get a cool green shell or an awesome red shell that can mm -hmm. win or lose you the, the game, whereas like in a fighting game, it's all up to you. No matter what 
you do, like, no matter what happens, it's your fault that it happened. But in Mario Kart, anything can happen. And so you can't really take it as seriously as other games. Yeah. And just people don't like RNG in esports, which I totally understand. Yeah, I think, I guess that'd be like if Smash was an esport, but they had items turned on. Yeah, exactly. Or like the stages <laughs> with hazards. Right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I know, like, um, a lot of people think Mario Kart is a lot of luck, but, you know, at the higher end, there are players who consistently do well, and they've all got strategies to, like, uh, use luck to their advantage. But, yeah, and so, like other esports, I would assume that with games like Smash and Mario Kart, they require a lot of practice. Um, what does your schedule look like so that your skills remain up to standard, and how often do you play your respective games? Would you like to start this time, Nick? Uh, yeah, sure. I, to be honest, I haven't played online very much. Like, it's not like I've been really out of practice. So whenever I come back in person, it's going to be, I'm going to be pretty rusty. But uh, I, I've still, like, been playing games casually here and there. I like playing games in person when I get together with uh, friends, stuff like that. But yeah, um, You haven't been playing much, right? Not not much. It's been hard because yeah, that's fair. A, a big part of it is the social aspect. I really miss being able to you know play the game and then go to have dinner with someone afterwards. Like playing just the game, it's there's something missing yeah. in that situation. And like you said, the input lag from online does make it a lot different. So it's just not the same experience. Yeah, that too. And uh, Sydney, what about you? Because I know you are you also play Smash a bit as well, I think. Yeah. 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 So um, for Mario Kart, just in general, how much do you play for Mario Kart? Um, when we were still in person and we still went to class, I would hang out at the nest and I'd probably play Mario Kart anywhere from like four to eight hours a day, probably. We have like a little CRT and a couch and I just walk up and I'd be like, where's Mario Kart? And then they give me the game and I'm like, all right. And I sit down and I just play and let people come up and like challenge me to games or something. Cause they, they look at me in the corner. They look at me in the corner. They're like, that's the Mario Kart girl. That's her. I heard she's really good. And people come up to me. They're like, I'd like to challenge you. So that's how I get my practice in. But uh, that's in person. And Mario Kart Wii doesn't, it has online, but it's like a mod that you have to get. It's not very highly accessible. Uh, so I don't play it as much as I, when I'm at home. But definitely when school starts again and we can all go to the nest or at least hang out with friends, I'm definitely going back up to that much, that many hours a day in Mario Kart. Yeah. Okay. And yeah okay so um i would assume that you both have played your fair share of games in the past uh starting with nick again what was your history with video games been like before you decide smash was your calling uh my first video game console was the gamecube i forget what year it was but it was really young my first game ever was mario party 7 <laughs> <laughs> and uh i've been a huge mario party fan ever since uh, there's, there's unfortunately not an esports community around Mario Party because that's even more RNG dependent. Right, yeah. I assume um, there'd be a lot of raging in that. <laughs> but um, I've been competitively involved in Smash Brothers since I was, let me think, I was like 12 or something with Brawl. I went to my first tournament and I remember this guy taught me how to chain grab as Falco. <laughs> 
and uh tactics in the brawl <laughs> yeah so i've been i've been involved in the community since forever and uh getting to organize tournaments was just something i started doing kind of like to give back to the community when i arrived here in canada that's when i like really got involved fully um and i decided smash was my calling i don't know when because it happened when i was really young but the moment i was like yeah I, I really want to dedicate myself to this was probably when i came to ubc and i just met this really friendly welcoming community and started going to these in-person tournaments and everything okay all right and then sydney how about you how, what has your history with video games been i know earlier you mentioned to us beforehand that you played like phineas and ferb across the second dimension yeah so uh it's since i'm a girl uh i i've got the classic like didn't get into video games until i had male friends which kind of sucks but i played my first console was wii uh and i played mario kart since it came out in 2008 and i was like instantly obsessed with it and i played it every day after school like with my friends that was like that and like the new Super Mario Bros. Wii or whatever, the red casing game. Those two games are the ones that I played for like from 2008 to 2018. I played pretty much those two games plus like Club Penguin. And then in in like 2018, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate came out and I had male friends and they introduced me to the game and I got into it and we played it every day. I think I got like 600 hours in that game in the first year that it was released. Uh, just because I played it so much, even though I'm not that good at it. Uh, and then I came to UBC, and I saw that they had a community for playing Super Smash Bros. And I enjoyed, I didn't enjoy really, like, competing in it, but I enjoyed talking to people who, who liked the game as well. And I joined, and I found out that Mario Kart is an eSport, and I didn't know it was an eSport the entire, like, 12 years that I've been playing the game. Uh, and as soon as I found out that Mario Kart could potentially be an esport. I have started doing everything in my power to make that happen. <laughs> yeah, so um, um, just adding on a bit from that, when did you realize that Mar there was like a competitive community? Or was that the same time that you found out that it had esport potential? Uh, yeah, the same time I found out esport potential. Like I saw the first time I was introduced to UBC esports was at a casual Monday and they were playing Mario Kart Wii and I walked up and I'm like oh my gosh Mario Kart Wii is my favorite game I've like I'm like really good at it too I have like thousands of hours and they're like yeah whatever okay <laughs> and then I played with them and I was actually good and then we would start doing like little tiny competitions and uh Nick was telling me about how there were uh like actual tournaments for it and stuff he's the one who told me about it I had no idea yeah that's fair and um, just another question. Do you feel as if you have a different mindset when you're playing these games compared to when you're playing other games? Or is your competitive nature just with you the second that you place your hands on a controller? And do you want to start this time, Sydney? Yeah, so every time I play a video game, if it's not competitive, I will not care at all about what I'm doing. There's this recent game called Among Us. I don't know if you've heard about it. Oh, it's yeah, like, right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of the people in the British Columbia Smash community are trying to create an eSport community for Among Us. 
and a lot of my friends are like high level smash players and so they're very interested in competition and so i play with them pretty much every night and when i play with them they're all very serious they keep their competitive mindset even though we're just playing among friends and i'll just be leaned back in my chair and they'll they'll be like hey sydney i think you're the imposter because that's like the bad guy in the game and i'll be like maybe i don't know and then (laughs) and then they just vote me off and they get mad because i wasn't taking it seriously (laughs) but if i'm playing like if i'm playing like mario kart with someone i will i will scream at them if they hit me with a shell or like if they surpass me i'll lose my mind because i'm just taking it so seriously so it's very polarizing yeah and uh how about you nick I don't know. I I feel like I vary between taking competition extremely seriously and not really. Like uh, when I play Mario Kart competitively, sometimes I'll pick a really bad vehicle on purpose just because I feel like having fun. Um, I mean, the characters I pick in Smash Brothers, sometimes I've, I'm known to pick like really bad characters in Bracket just because I don't yeah, really like feel actual, like, like in actual <laughs> tournaments. Uh, sorry. Like in tournaments, you'll choose it, not just in like friendly matches. Yeah, in, oh. in tournaments, I've taken very poor decisions in terms of picking some characters, <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> uh, but like I, like the most important aspect about me isn't really the competition. It's just about having fun. And like sometimes, yes, I'm really gonna like hunch over and get really focused and try to win very certain sets but overall i feel like i try to enjoy myself more than i try to win that's just my personal philosophy yeah that's a good lesson to go on <laughs> okay and i'm not sure if you're aware but with the u sports being temporarily put on hold canadian universities have started to offer more support towards their esport teams such as the addition of esports scholarships and gaming arenas around campus so what are your opinions about this from a UBC standpoint? Do you think it's necessary that UBC esports teams receive additional support? And if it's lacking, do you have any recommendations on how the school could offer that support? Sydney, would you like to start for this question? Um, I don't know how well I can speak to the individual, like the esports teams getting support because I haven't attended a single board meeting for UBC Esports. I don't know how that works. But I know that um, my personal opinion with gaming scholarships is yes, please do that. Because when you are trying to become a competitive gamer or trying to go into esports, not even playing the video games, it's very hard to do that, to do as best as you can and to help further your career that and also like work another job to make money for it because usually when you want to do a career you'll do a student job like in that sector you know so you'll get job experience and money at the same time but it's very hard to do that with video games especially with collegiate esports because it's very well known that when you're in collegiate esports you're essentially working if you're working at a bit higher up you're essentially working like full-time for zero pay just so that you can have the joy of working in esports. So I think that gaming scholarships would really help with lessening the burden that students, the financial burden at least that students face when they're trying to take esports more seriously. Okay, and how about you, Nick? How do you, do you think that um, more support for esport teams is necessary? Uh, I, I know it would definitely be appreciated. Um, like, 
a lot of us are dedicating a very long time, like not just to playing, but to organizing these events. And it's it's like almost like a job, really. And uh, balancing that with student life uh, can be really difficult. Right. And any form of support that UBC could give us would be very much appreciated because, yeah, like it's it's hard to balance out student life with playing the game and making these events happen and you know living a whole other social life in this environment yeah and especially since um since uh ubc does give a lot of course load as well so yeah you know, it's a definitely. rough balance <laughs> okay so now i guess to be more general uh smash and mario kart obviously have very large fan bases however the thing is almost all of these people don't play competitively half of them don't even know there is a competitive scene to it Will you two be holding any tournaments that are less competitive to try to target these more casual players and potentially add to your communities? Uh, Nick, would you like to start for this one? Uh, well, we do hold these uh, casual Monday events back when we had in-person events um, where we just welcome players and we played on with items and stuff like that. And then there's like more casual events like Rainbow Road for Mario Kart as well. Um, in terms of like what we're doing right now, um, the events we have, like, bi-weeklies, we've made them into a more, like, casual, less competitive thing because we found that a lot of players get frustrated um, on, in an online environment um, playing super competitively, which is why we don't have any prize pool. It's free to enter. So that's a fairly casual experience, though, like, we still don't have items and stuff like that. Right, and then how how would these events be like advertised? Like, I know when I was on campus, sometimes I would see like a Smash poster hanging around, right? With like online, how would these tournaments be advertised? Uh, well, these online tournaments, it's that's been a struggle in advertising them because all we can really do is uh, promote them in social media, and. Uh, when you promote them in social media, you're reaching out people that tend to already have a more competitive mindset. So it's hard to kind of like diversify who our message is reaching. Right. It's and, a lot uh, more difficult to like reach like new people. Yeah. It's definitely easier to reach newer people through like posters and stuff like that when in-person tournaments existed. But uh, since not many people are on campus, I don't, I don't think distributing posters at this point would be very effective you know right it's... that's totally true okay and sydney how about you will you be holding any tournaments that are less competitive to try to bring in more people from the casual scene yeah because i know you are um trying to start tournaments with like prize pools but i guess this is for in the future because you haven't been really able to start them yet but would you be interested in holding more tournaments in the future that are targeted to those that are less competitive? Um, I know that the online stuff that I do now, I open up the room like 30 minutes before the tournament starts just for everyone to like race around and, and hang out a bit. And I also make sure to make it very clear that when I make the tournaments that it's like all skill levels, anyone can join. Like even if you've never played Mario Kart before, you could totally play with us. And uh, I, we have like a very small community right now just because uh, not that many people know about it because it's been exclusively online. Uh, but like the 20 or so people that we have that play with us, 
uh, they all like are friendly with each other. And whenever someone comes in and are, and is like, Hey, I really suck at Mario Kart, but I really want to play with people. Can I play? And we all say, yeah, of course. And then let them play. So I think that I'm just going to keep that attitude up as it goes. And, uh, because Mario Kart is very like non-competitive on a grand scale, I think that the casual stuff will outweigh the competitive stuff just because of uh, demand for those events. And I think I'll like make it so that the competitive stuff is like a really big event and that people know about it like months in advance. And there's like a lot of planning that goes into it just to make it a bit better. Uh, And as for like advertising my events, I literally just post something on I'll just post something on my Twitter and <laughs> ask people to sign up. And uh, I usually get around like 15 people that way. And then the stragglers are people who are already in UBC esports and they just happen to see like a little notice posted on our Discord or, or something like that. Yeah, that's pretty good for advertising. And then one last question for you guys. Do you have any advice for players who are getting into the competitive scene of esports? For example, what struggles did you have in the beginning or what were things that you wish someone else had told you beforehand? Um, do you want to start, Sydney? Uh, yeah, so I I got into esports like 11 months ago, less than a year ago. Um, recent. <laughs> it is very recent. And if you want to get into esports, the best thing for you to do is just look up like name of your game. So if you want to look up Smash, you just look up Smash Esports and then your location, so Vancouver. Uh, and then a lot of stuff will be able to come up for that. The best place to look specifically, if you already kind of know what you're looking for, is definitely Facebook because people post like a lot of event postings on Facebook and it's like the best place to go. Uh, and definitely, like, join whatever local thing that you have. Don't wait for, like, the big events to start stuff because it'll be very overwhelming. Uh, just go to, like, the stuff that uh, is, like, a 15-minute drive away or something, and it'll have, like, 20 or less people. That way you can, like, get a closer connection with those people, and they'll be able to – you'll, be like, become friends and feel like you're actually part of the community when you join yeah, okay, and how about you, Nick? Yeah, I, d- I definitely agree with Sydney that if you're, like, just getting into any eSport, uh, find a community. Because once you, once you find a community and you make friends in that community, it becomes a really fulfilling experience rather than just a, like, flat-out competitive one. Um, so, yeah, like, just look up, go to locals instead of just, like, large events. Many people only go to big events, and I think they're missing the opportunity to go to smaller locals and just, you know, hang out with people like friends in a not as competitive environment. Um, It's been a very fulfilling experience and I think everybody should experience that. Okay. That's fair. And that will wrap up this interview. Thank you so much, Sydney and Nick for coming onto the show with us. This has been Alan and Byron Wang from the CITR Sports Collective, joined by Sydney and Nick from the UBC Esports Association. It's been a fun time, and thank you all for listening. 
Again, thank you to Nick Raiden and Sydney Herricle for coming on the show. We're now going to take a quick break for ads and PSAs, and then we'll be back with the Thunderbirds News Roundup as well as the Thunderbirds Alum of the Week. There is currently no vaccine to prevent coronavirus disease 2019 or COVID-19. You can protect yourself and help prevent spreading the virus to others if you Wash your hands regularly for 20 seconds with soap and water or alcohol-based hand rub. Cover your nose and mouth with a disposable tissue or flexed elbow when you cough or sneeze. Avoid close contact, 1 meter or 3 feet, with people who are unwell. Stay home and self-isolate from others in the household if you feel unwell. Don't touch your eyes, nose, or mouth if your hands are not clean. Monitor yourself for common symptoms of COVID-19, like a fever, cough, or shortness of breath. Call a health professional if you're experiencing these symptoms. Do you like laughing, hilarity, radical thought-provoking creativity, and laughing? UBC Improv is UBC's home for improvisational comedy, theater made up on the spot. Like us on Facebook to learn when our next shows are. Search for us on YouTube for our film sketches. And follow us on Twitter because we want the followers. UBC Improv. Insert cheesy slogan here. Let's get it on. Welcome back. You're listening to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 11.9, and I will now hand it over to Chooks Ebaum for the Thunderbirds News Roundup. On the Thunderbird News Roundup this week, UBC's 2020 homecoming celebration will look a bit different this year, as the Thunderbirds, in conjunction with alumni UBC, will host a virtual celebration of the Blue and Gold Presented by RBC Royal Bank, kicking off Friday, September 25th at 7 p.m. PDT. Usually, the annual homecoming festival involves a full day of activities and celebration for students, alumni, staff, faculty, and supporters, culminating with a rushless crowd. At Thunderbird Stadium, cheering on the T-Birds football team. This year, however, the reimagined Friday evening program will be delivered to you directly, wherever you are around the world. This virtual event will see a 40-minute program that will feature appearances from artists, including multi-platinum Juno Award-winning vocal group the tenors and at at home headline performance by canadian singer songwriter scott hellman and hip-hop rap and soul artist mr d notable alumni taking part includes raptors 905 head coach jamal mahalale former Major League Baseball pitcher Jeff Francis 
and three-time Olympic rowing gold medalist, Caitlin Heddle. Fellow special guests include the man in motion, Rick Hansen, UBC's Chancellor Stephen Point, UBC's President and Vice-Chancellor Professor Santa J. Ono, amongst others. While the feature program will take will take place the evening of Friday, 20, September 25th, there will be many more activities available throughout the weekend, including a virtual UBC trivia night, the UBC Minds and Wines virtual tasting featuring alumni-owned vineyards and a video celebration of the 2020 UBC Sports Hall of Fame class. A really exciting way to begin the school year, I must say. Whether virtual or in person, let's go Thunderbirds. And finally, before we go, Mike Liu is here for the Thunderbirds alum of the week. Thanks, Jake. It's great to be back on air. Following up Corey's brilliant profile from last week, I'll be introducing another groundbreaking UBC alum in the sporting world. For those who are new, every show during the Thunderbird Alum of the Week segment, we cover one former UBC sports person, profiling not only their time on campus, but also in the wider world. No time period limitations, so you'll hear stories all throughout the history of UBC athletics. This week's alum is someone who fought for their own sport to be included in the Olympic Games. Ashley McIver was born in Vancouver, British Columbia, and began skiing on the North American Alpine circuit until the age of 16. However, a serious injury forced her to switch to freestyle skiing, in particular, ski cross. While she skied well and produced good results on the World Cup circuit, the sport of ski cross in and of itself was struggling. It wasn't an Olympic sport, and thus didn't have a lot of funding available to it. During her time at the University of British Columbia, Ashley competed on the UBC Alpine ski team, a former varsity team, now Thunderbird Sport Club. In 2003, while a student at the school, she penned an essay arguing why ski cross should be an Olympic sport, emphasizing its fan-friendly nature and popularity. Then, in 2006, her wishes were realized. The IOC announced that women's ski cross would be part of the 2010 Vancouver Winter Games. Ashley McIver was to become an Olympian. After claiming a world championship in 2009, she was in position to make a statement at home. I remember Tuesday, February 23rd, 2010, as a day where my entire family went to the Ozone, a massive Olympic viewing party set up in Richmond. It was the first ever women's ski cross, and it was about to happen. It was a miserable day, but even through the rain, I couldn't keep my eyes away from that red bib flying down the slopes of Cyprus. That hideously ugly ski candle jacket flapping in the wind, I remember screaming as Ashley crossed the line. She became the first Olympic gold medalist in women's ski cross, and on top of that, on home soil. My nine-year-old self didn't realize it, too busy hugging the stranger next to me, but the impact of her win would be felt for generations of Canadian skiers. Since her win, Canada has gone on to dominate women's ski cross, with Marielle Thompson and Kelsey Surwa claiming gold medals in 2014 and 2018 respectively. However, if it weren't for the pioneering efforts of people like Ashley McIver, we'd have missed out on women's ski cross entirely. Now retired, you can still catch Ashley as a motivational speaker as well as a CBC commentator. And with that, thank you for tuning in to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9. 
Besides listening to the show, the best way to keep up to date with UBC Thunderbirds news is to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at CITR Sports. Speaking of YouTube, our interview with Nick Radin and Sidney Herrickle will be up in video form if you would like to check that out. For Thunderbird Eye, this has been Jake McGrail, Chooksy Bomb, Mike Liu, and Alan and Byron Wang. Thank you for tuning in, and have a great rest of your day. Yeah.